Are you ready for some last days end time prophecy? I know I am. So let's study the scriptures in Micah chapter 4. We're going to read the first five verses together. So open your Bible and take a look. We'll explain as soon as we conclude. Now, it will be that in the last days, the mountain of the house of Yahweh will be established as the head of the mountains and will be lifted up above the hills and the peoples will stream to it and many nations will come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of Yahweh and to the house of God of Jacob that he may instruct us from his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For from Zion will go forth the law and the word of Yahweh from Jerusalem. And he will judge between many peoples and will render decisions for mighty distant nations. And they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation and never again will they learn war. And each of them will sit under his vine, under his fig tree, with no one to make them tremble. For the mouth of Yahweh of hosts has spoken. Though all the peoples walk each in the name of his God, as for us, we will walk in the name of Yahweh, our God, forever and ever. There's so much in these first five verses that that's all that we can cover today. But if you're following along as we're reading these first few verses of Micah chapter 4, you've got to be as excited as I am. World peace, coming kingdom. It's going to be really exciting. So let's understand exactly what the Bible is saying and what this prophet is delivering uh, from the mouth of God to the ears of the kingdom of Judah. Micah chapter 4, verse number 1. It begins with the word now or but. This is a transitional sentence saying the judgment's been pronounced if repentance doesn't happen. There's hope, though, and let's take a look at what's coming in the last days. It will be that in the last days. Uh, One commentator likes to put it this way, that uh, all of time is divided into two halves, and it's not B.C. and A.D., uh, rather Um, There's a time of looking to Christ coming in humility, and then all of the rest of time is waiting for Christ to come in power and glory. Uh, Christ came in humility. He was born of a virgin in a manger, died on a cross, rose from the grave, and now we wait for our uh, soon coming king who will reign over all of the earth, and this is what we refer to as the millennial reign of Christ. So we're transitioning to the future. It will be that in the last days, the mountain of the house of Yahweh will be established as the head of the mountains. It will be lifted up above the hills, and the peoples will stream to it. Now, some believe that this is a literal topographical change, that when uh, Christ sits on his throne in this particular location, that this hill is going to literally rise up and it's going to be, you know, taller than all of the other places. And while that is totally possible, I wouldn't want to speculate on that not being true. What I'll say is that More likely, we're studying Micah, who is a words craftsman. He's delivering the words that the Holy Spirit is telling him to deliver. And 
this is more than likely hyperbole, as in this is going to become the central place that everyone's going to look and every person around the entire planet will know that the king sits here, that this man's in charge, that this is the highest seat of government. Israel is the world power. Everything is happening centered around uh, Mount Moriah right here. Um, the passage speaks of the mountain of the house of Yahweh, and that's more than Mount Zion. That's a picture of all of Jerusalem, Israel's capital city. So it's the Temple Mount, it's the city of Jerusalem, and the prophet says in verse number one, it will be established. This is a, a permanency. It's raised to global recognition for the remainder of Earth's existence, and it is the capital of the Messiah's empire. Now, um, Israel often journeyed on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem uh, to learn from the law its moral implications and its practices to worship in the temple, to offer sacrifice. Uh, that was a part of Old Covenant. That's a part of Jewish culture. It's a part of Israel's law. And we're seeing that that is going to be uh, translated sort of into uh, a different context where uh, not just Israel is journeying to this capital city, uh, but all people, that people from all around the world are going to journey to this particular place for a specific reason. There's a global pilgrimage taking place for instruction and application. Um, and, and I just, I love so much verse number two. Many nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of Yahweh and to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may instruct us from his ways and that we may walk in his paths, for from Zion will go forth the law and the word of Yahweh from Jerusalem. Quite a bit happening here that we want to study. We don't want to scan over it. And it's incredible when we're studying scripture in its context. The prophet just concluded delivering an indictment against uh, Israel. And he says, because of you. This is your fault. Because of your sin, uh, Zion is going to be plowed like a field. There's going to be a forest of trees that grow up on it. And, and now, the prophet is saying in the future, because of the Messiah, because of the king, this kingdom will be established, and this Mount Zion is going to be a forever place of, of beauty and instruction and glory and power. What a picture of the Old Covenant versus the New Covenant. Uh, the Old Covenant, where the law is our, our, our school teacher that's instructing us in all of the ways that we fail daily, um, because of you, because of your sin, this happens. You did, so this happens. Um, now, in the new covenant, this is a, a time of New Testament here. This is the millennial reign of Christ. Uh, not because of you, not because of anything that you've done or could possibly do, but because of the king. Because of the king, this kingdom will be established. And people are coming for two particular things, that he may instruct us from his ways and that we may walk in his paths. Ways and paths uh, may sound abundantly similar in the English language, but have two different implications uh, in Greek 
and here in Hebrew, ways are like the practical do's. They're coming to learn uh, morality. What are the things that we should do in our daily life? Tell me what to do. That's the uh, that's the what. But then it also speaks of paths that we may walk in his paths um, where the Ways are the what, the paths are the why. The paths are uh, reasoning, they're thinking. So they're coming now to learn from the king to say, uh, don't just tell us what to do, uh, but tell us why we should do that. Teach me your ways and your paths. Now, the passage goes on that says, from Zion will go forth the law and the word of Yahweh from Jerusalem. So the law here is a teaching, like the Torah is often called the books of the law. The teaching is going forth from Zion, and the word of Yahweh, this is revelation. This is the word of God. This is going forth from Jerusalem. Now the perspective has been broadened to more than uh, just one singular voice, but rather those who are qualified uh, and permitted to teach. People are coming to Israel, specifically Jerusalem, and even on a more micro scale, Zion, to learn from those who can instruct the peoples of the world in the word of God. What an incredible picture here in the revelation, in the teaching, in the reasoning, and in the practical steps of morality. It's all happening in the last days under the millennial reign of Christ. Now, verse 3 is where it starts getting good. Now, uh, Micah kind of, he, he wasn't permitted to give the darker part of the prophecy. He's giving the peaceful part, and so we want to zero in on that, but we want to take a look at this prophecy in its context. Micah's not the only one to deliver words like this. Isaiah does. Joel does, to name two of several. Look at verse number three. He, speaking of God here, he will judge between many peoples and will render decisions for mighty distant nations. And what do they do as a result? They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation and never again will they learn war. How exciting that all of the contestants of the Miss America and Miss Universe pageants finally get their wish. What do you want? World peace. It, here, here it is. World peace. Now, there's something interesting. This beat their uh, swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. The opposite of that is happening in Joel chapter 3. In fact, it's a direct opposite. Um all of the men are called to take their plowshares and beat them into swords and their pruning hooks and turn them into spears. This is where God delivers a challenge to all of the world. Come at me. And so in that issued challenge in Joel chapter 3, uh, the king has come uh, all of the nations of the world are rallying uh, for war against God and his people.
people. And so uh, if you're going to go to war against God, you'd better have every weapon at your disposal. So, uh, you know, take your shovels and turn them into swords and take your pruning hooks and turn them into spears and take everything that you can because you're going to need it all. Um, Not just your guns and your tanks and your bombs and your whatever. I mean, grab everything. If it can grab your baseball bats, um, grab your hammers. If it can be used as a weapon, bring it because you're going to war against God. And in Joel chapter 3, there's also a rally that uh, let the weak say uh, that I'm a warrior. So you don't just need every weapon at your disposal. You also need uh, to get yourself psyched up. (laughs) This is a mindset thing. You're going to war against the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Creator, and God of the universe. Yeah, you'd better be psyched up for that. Um, You'd better have your mind in the right place if you expect to win. And I say that totally tongue-in-cheek because you and I know you're part of this study right now because you know the end. You know what happens. Nobody beats God. (laughs) But if you're going to try, if you're going to try, you'd better have your mindset right and you'd better have every weapon at your disposal. So the battle of Armageddon takes place. And more of that in a coming study in the book of Revelation. But... Um, they've got every tool in their hand. They've got their mindset psyched up. The Bible says in Psalm 2 that he who sits in the heavens laughs. Um, God crushes them. And as a result, sets up his kingdom and says no more. There's no more learning war. Rather, there's practicing peace. Um, There's no more trying to find a new weapon. Rather, it's trying to find new ways to farm. There's no trying to find new skills in order to fight. Martial arts comes to a close. Um, No more need for it. Now it's uh, how can we develop uh, new treatments for um, medical issues and how can we develop new trainings for children. And so education is rising as peace is rising, farming and and development and agriculture and industry and all of this is booming under the reign of of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Tools go back now to their intended purpose. Um, Take your sword and turn it back into a plowshare. Uh, Take your spear, turn it back into a pruning hook because it doesn't have a need anymore. See, we only need weapons when there's a need for war. And right now you and I sit in a time where there is a need for war. Uh, The King has not yet come. The battle in a literal existing in a linear time frame is not yet over. Now, the battle's already been won. We're more than conquerors as we consider the eternality of God. God knows how this is gonna go. He's the king. He's the Lord. He has decided and let it be so. Um, These prophecies are written because God knows how this story ends. Uh, Yet in Ephesians 6, we're challenged to put on the armor of God. Because there's a demonic battle that is happening. There's uh, rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. It's not wrestling against flesh and blood. Know that it's more than that. There's something happening in the spirit realm where we need to be prepared to fight. And so crime is ever rising and and sin is ever growing and the world waxes darker and darker And Christians must stand, put on the armor, and don't take it off, and get ready to fight. 
we've been given these weapons of our warfare, warfare now for a particular reason to fight a particular battle. But there's coming a day. There's coming a day when the Messiah will reign, when those things no longer have a purpose, but tools and, and farm equipment, they will have a purpose. They'll have a need this goes even to the definition of sin itself. Sin is the transgression of the law of God. In other words, sin is utilizing a thing that God created for a purpose for a different purpose. And so uh, God is going to say those things don't have a purpose anymore. So turn them into something that you can actually use. So you want to see world peace? Hey, Miss America, if you're watching this Bible study, uh, do you do you really do you really want to see world peace? Um, are you doing anything about it? I mean, we could start now. We could start now with the only thing that works. Um, new laws, um, not necessarily bringing of peace. Uh, new wars, not necessarily bringing of peace. Um, food for everybody, not necessarily bringing of peace. We, we could go through the list of things. Well, if if these people uh, just had the legal right to do not necessarily bringing of peace, isn't it interesting how even in the United States of America, the more permissive the federal law has become, the more crime continues to rise and depravity continues to grow and spread like a cancer. You want to have world peace? The only thing that brings men from different cultures, different families, different backgrounds, different ideologies, different values, the only thing that brings these two sinful creatures to peace is Jesus. That's it. You want to see world peace? Um, Deliver the message of the gospel. The gospel brings men to peace. Jesus brings men to peace. That's our job right now to stand and fight for peace. We're to have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Their feet ready for peace were shoes that had nails and spikes like cleats in the bottom of them so that they take their stand on the battlefield and no one could push them back. Their feet were dug into the ground. We need more Christians to have some spiritual grit who are ready to propagate the message of peace. Right now we have to fight for it, but one day in the last days, in the millennial reign of Christ, fighting comes to an end. One more thing about this. Um, this piece here, verse number four, they're sitting under their own vine, under their fig tree, back into verse number three, no swords being lifted, no more learning war. Verse number two, um, Zion, the law goes from Zion, the word of Yahweh from Jerusalem, because God said so. Um, this is not just a, a mere surrender. Uh, this, this isn't people... This isn't the whole world going, oh, wow, we, uh, we believe. This isn't the whole world being saved. In fact, we see that in verse number five. Though all the peoples walk each in the name of his God, little g God, as for us, we will walk in the name of Yahweh, our God forever and ever. You see, the people of the world are not all surrendering and being saved. This is 
subjugation. This is enforced righteousness. This is God crushing the enemy, laying down the law and saying, you will not do that again as he sits in Zion and rules during that millennial reign. Can I just pause before we finish this real quick and say that as Christians, we do have a temporal political obligation. Uh, There are some people that like to wax weaker and weaker on this, and they say things like, well, pastors shouldn't talk about political things. You see, every Old Testament prophet and every New Testament apostle spoke to kings about the things that were happening in corrupt government, and nearly every one of them died a martyr's death preaching a, in quotes, political message. So to say that pastors, preachers, and Christians in general should avoid speaking out or participating in the political sphere is to ignore uh, the vast majority of Scripture. We have an obligation. And, and we say, well, you can't legislate righteousness. I heard that a lot growing up. And um, in truth, you can't force people to do what's right. You can't. God can. We're talking about the millennial reign here. You can't make people do what's right because a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. However, however, we shouldn't expect things to change for as long as we avoid being involved in the process. Uh, Here in the millennial reign, not everybody becomes, some of us, we excuse the behavior of the world and go, well, they're lost. That's why they act that way. Yes, and you're a believer and your job is to share the gospel with them. You can't make them believe, but we are in a position where we could fill the offices of the highest of the land with people who would legislate righteousness. Um, We understand that no leader is perfect or void of sin, but we do have a moral and a spiritual, we have a commission to be a part of this right now. Now is not the millennial reign. Um, It's not happening now, but we do have the opportunity now to bring to end things that God hates. God hates abortion, period. Hates it. Hates it. God calls that murder. He calls that a sin. Um, God created uh, sex to be between one man and one woman in one marriage for one lifetime. God hates anything other than that, outside the bounds of marriage between one man and one woman. God hates everything outside of that. These are two big legal battles in the United States of America today. And as we've discussed in the study through Micah, those who don't learn from history are doomed or destined to repeat it. Friends, every world power in all of history that turned their backs on life, even infant life, and allowed sexual depravity to be legalized and run rampant, has fallen. I'm not here to be an apologist for the United States of America, but I am here to say that if we want men to be at peace, we should do everything we can to help them avoid 
even force them to avoid making the sinful decisions that could rob them of that peace. Abortion is murder. Sex outside of marriage between one man and one woman is sin. And there is so much more. If we give in on those two issues, um, it's only a baby step away from saying, you can steal what you want. Why is do not steal a law in the United States of America? Well, because we were founded on the principles of God's word, and that's a principle in God's word. So if we make this okay, who's to say that this is now not okay? At the end of the day, what's happening is a chipping away of morality. Why? Because people are not hearing the voice of God. And while not every person may be privileged to journey to Israel, even to Jerusalem, to see the evidence of Jesus' birth, death, and resurrection, and to see all of the historical proof for the validity of the Word of God, while not everyone could make that flight or that pilgrimage, they could make it to your church facility, to your life group gathering, to your presence at a coffee shop, or you meeting them at a gas station and delivering to them the ways of God and the word of God. You can do that now. A lot happening in this passage so far, and it's an incredibly exciting passage for what the millennial reign of Christ is going to look like. Um, And when Christ sits on the throne, when the Messiah is come, when the millennial reign takes place, he brings to the world freedom. And we saw in these five verses, four freedoms that Jesus brings. Um, First of all, freedom from foolishness because he's teaching them in verse number two. There will be freedom from ignorance. There will be freedom from fighting. There will be no more war. It won't be allowed. It won't be tolerated. It's done. Freedom from fighting under the millennial reign of Christ. There'll be freedom from, I wanted them all to start with the letter F, but that's just not possible if we want to be clear. So there's freedom from deficiency. It's got an F in there, right? There's freedom from deficiency. See, in verse number four, each will sit under his vine and under his fig tree. That's a a beautiful poetic picture of everyone will have what they need and no one will have lack. You want to know why we still have the poor and why we still have world hunger and why we still, because Christ is not yet on the millennial throne and he's also not yet on the throne of so many people's hearts and lives. When Christ sits on the throne, we're compelled to be givers and fighters for peace. And when when peace is settled from the Mount of Zion and Christ sits on the throne, Everyone has everything they need. There'll be no more poor. There'll be no more hungry. Everyone will have freedom from deficiency. And then here's the last one. Freedom from fear. No one will make anyone else afraid. Verse number four. No one will make them tremble. Freedom. When Christ sits on the throne, there's freedom from foolishness, fighting, deficiency, and fear. And when Christ sits on the throne of your heart, my friend, there'll be freedom from foolishness, You can learn. You have access to the voice of God, to the word of God. When Christ sits on the throne of your heart, you can have freedom from fighting. And I'm not talking about in a spiritual sense. I'm talking about in a, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, 
sense. Freedom from pointless bickering and arguing and ridiculousness. You can have freedom from that when Christ sits on the throne of your heart. When Christ sits on the throne of your heart, you'll have freedom from deficiency. The writer says, I was young and now am I old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Consider the lilies. They don't toil or spend. Consider the birds of the field. Are you not of more value than many sparrows? God will provide for your needs according to his riches and glory. When Christ is on the throne of your heart, you may not have everything you want, but you will have all that you need. And when he sits on the throne of your heart, you'll have freedom from fear. Those who are not growing in courage are not growing in Christ. And those who are not growing in boldness are not studying the Bible when Christ sits on the throne of your heart, you will have freedom from the bondage and slavery of the demonic oppression of fear. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. You see the freedom? It's not just in Micah. It's all across the pages of Scripture. So what are our journal questions for today and what are we praying I love the parallelism from Micah chapter 4 and several uh, prophecies and principles in the book of Psalms. In Psalm chapter 2, we quoted it earlier where he who sits in the heaven laughs, but I love I love the anticipation of verse number 9. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like a potter's vessel. Those who stand in opposition to God will be destroyed. Um... I don't take pleasure in the destruction of, of, of anybody. I want to reach them so that that doesn't happen to them. But at the end of the day, those who stand against God will be destroyed. In other words, God has all the authority and he has all of the power and he will subjugate the world. And when he does, we'll see peace. But I love Psalm 25. Psalm 25. The question for today is, are you preparing for peace? Are you preparing for peace? First, before you can prepare others, you need to be prepared. How do we do that? Well, we uh, ask God to show us his ways and teach us his paths and fill us with his spirit. Fill us with power and strength and meekness and humility. And so... As God is doing that for us, we're equipped to help do that, to help show that, to help model that, to help share that with those in the world. So are we preparing the world for peace? Are we are we propagating peace? How do we do that? Well, we show the world God's ways. We model um, his word. We teach them his paths. We, we demonstrate his lifestyle and instruct them in his principles and then we ask the question, are we capitulating to the culture or are we taking a stand for Christ? So those are the deep questions, things to ponder, things to evaluate. So we'll end our study today with Psalm 25, verses 4 through 6. Here's our prayer. Make me know your ways, O Yahweh, and teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. In you I hope all the day. Remember, O Yahweh, your compassion and your loving kindness, for they have been from of old. Micah chapter 4, the millennial reign of Christ, 
world peace and our part in it. What an exciting thing to look forward to. What an incredible job we have even now.